0: Please stand for reading of God's Word. This morning I'll be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. This is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The Lord's Prayer is arguably the most popular prayer in the world. Recited before sporting events, said around the family dinner table, offered up before bedtime. It's made countless appearances in popular culture from movies to novels to short stories. It's been prayed by pastors, by politicians. By celebrities and even rock stars. Just this last week, I came across a story about David Bowie, who in 1992 spontaneously dropped to his knees in the middle of a tribute concert to Freddie Mercury. And he led 72,000 fans in praying the Lord's Prayer from memory. There's something about the Lord's Prayer that has entered into our collective consciousness as a people. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, whether you've grown up in the church or not, odds are you've probably heard something of the Lord's Prayer. But what I want you to see, not just this morning, but as we dive into each part of the Lord's Prayer together this fall, that the Lord's Prayer is far more than something for us to memorize. But it's a model that the Lord Jesus has given to us, not only to teach us how to pray, but to teach us who we are praying to. The opening words of the Lord's Prayer are this, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. In many ways, these words have become commonplace to people all over the world. Even the Lord's Prayer is often called the Our Father. But these words are far more than just common. They are a declaration. A declaration of the authority, goodness, and grace of God for us. And so this morning as we dive in, The very first words of the Lord's Prayer, I want you to see what it means to see God as your father. First thing I want you to know, I want you to know that to pray to God as our father is to recognize his authority over all things. Now, when we look at these words, our father in heaven, it might be tempting to just pass by them and just go to the first petition to see them as as just an address a way that we are just looking to God and calling him a name, but they are far more than that. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at every single word, but I want to look at them backwards. So I want to start with the words in heaven. They're significant because they don't just tell us where God is, but they tell us who God is. He's not just any kind of father. He's our father in heaven. He's our heavenly father. And when we recognize that he is our heavenly father, we are acknowledging that he has authority. That he is sovereign, that he is in control over all things. I want to show you what I mean from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I want you to turn in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, I invite you to get the Blue Pew Bible out next to you. And I would tell you that we are going to be all over the Bible, not only this morning, but throughout this semester together. Because what we're going to do as we look at the Lord's prayers, we're just going to go phrase by phrase, petition by petition. Which means it's going to give us the opportunity to look at all of the Scriptures as they speak to these things to us. So I want to begin in 1 Corinthians 8, where the Apostle Paul says this. He says, Although there have been many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, of course, all of this is lowercase g. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. Paul's words are just as relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago, because we live in a world where there are many gods and lords, not real gods. But false gods, things that we worship, people that we adore, those things that we give authority over us, that we look to, to make our lives better, even things that we look to for rescue that can never deliver on their promise. There are many gods in this world but Paul reminds us that there is only one true God. And notice what he calls him Father. Because to call God Father is to recognize authority. In the same way that an earthly father has authority over his children, our heavenly father has authority over us. And we see this all over the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You don't have to turn there, I just want to show you. To call God Father means he has authority as our creator. Isaiah 64, verse 8, you don't have to turn there, just listen. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. To say that God is Father is to recognize that He is He's creator. And as the creator of all things, we could say he's the father of all things. All things have been made by him and through him and for him. And we are the creature. We've been made by him. And as those who have been made and formed by him, who are we to tell him who he should be for us? But he has invited us to call him father. We also see that to call God as our father gives him authority as the one who has called us to himself as our covenant-keeping God. He has authority over us as his people. We see this in Jeremiah 3, verse 19. The prophet writes, I said how I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, a heritage most beautiful of all nations. And I thought you would call me my father and would not turn from following me. To call God our Father is to give Him authority, not just as creator, but to recognize He's called us to be His people, and He's called us into relationship with Him. Lastly, we we'll also see that to call Him Father gives Him authority as the one who sits on the throne and reigns and rules over all things. He is our kingly Father, and our call to worship this morning, I think, put it well. Psalm 68, verse 34. Ascribe power to God whose majesty to over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Prayer requires that we acknowledge the authority of God as he sits on the throne. And if you think about it, This is naturally why we go to God to pray. It makes no sense to pray to a God who is not in control, who can't actually help us, who is powerless and has no authority. If you think about it, the very reason we pray is because he has authority because there's something in us that acknowledges and recognizes and even believes that he is in control, that he is sovereign, that he has authority not only our lives but over everything. And yet in our pride and hubris, we hate that. We want to be the authority. And often when we pray, we give these demands we fail to recognize that He is the one who's in control and called us to come to Him as Father in humility, but as we'll see in just a second, also as a child. But sometimes that pride and hubris, it actually causes us not to pray at all. And that when we think that we are in control, if you're like me, it probably find that those are the times in life when, when you are high and mighty When things are working out for you, when you are getting what you want on your terms, those are the times in your life when you pray the least. And it's only when, by God's grace and mercy, that He brings us low, when He humbles us. That it's only in those moments when we are desperate and needy, in those moments, we find ourselves praying the most. There's an old saying, it says, There are no atheists in foxholes. Because the idea is even an atheist, when they are at their wit's end and at the end of themselves will find themselves praying, God, if you exist, help me. The simple act of praying is to recognize the authority of God as our Father. But you see, in Jesus' day, they saw God as authority But they couldn't see Him as Father. For them, they couldn't comprehend how this God, who is transcendent and mighty, would ever draw near to us. No, for Him, God wasn't Father, He was boss. And maybe that's who God is for you. Maybe you see Him as boss. In fact, the Pharisees, for them, the idea of God as Father was so foreign to their thinking The Gospels tell us the reason that they wanted to put Jesus to death is because he called God his father. And that would make him equal with God. They couldn't comprehend that. And yet fast forward 2,000 years later and we have the exact opposite problem. It's not that we're fixated on transcendence, but... In our day today, we can't imagine a high and lifted up God. We we live in a world where what you see is all that there is. And so for us, we're not fixated on transcendence. We are captivated by eminence, by closeness. But prayer is this gift that God has given us that when we pray to our Father in heaven, it's where his transcendence and eminence collide that the sovereign, authoritative God of the universe would invite us to commune with him, to be with him, to talk with him. I want you to see that not only to pray to God as our Father not only recognizes his authority, but also requires that we trust that he is good. What makes prayer hard for us? I guess perhaps we'd have to begin to admit that it is hard for us sometimes. I'd like for you to be honest with yourself and before the Lord. What makes prayer hard for you? Yes, sometimes I think prayer is hard because we turn it into a chore, a duty, this thing that we're just supposed to check off for the sake of doing it. Or maybe perhaps like some of you or me learn the Lord's Prayer, we've turned it into a a thing to memorize to just practice as part of our religion. But I think deep down, the real reason why prayer is hard is not because it just feels like a chore, but deep down I think prayer is hard because sometimes if we're honest, it feels like a risk. Because what if God hears our prayers and lets us down? I wonder if you've ever felt that way. I wonder if you feel that way now. That to lay yourself bare before God, to pray and to ask for these things requires this trust that he's good. And maybe at some point in your life, things have happened to you or to others that have caused you to question his goodness. And so when you go to God and pray, you, you think, well, I'm, I'm putting it all out there, but this feels risky. Because what if he says no? What if he doesn't actually give me the things I'm asking for? Later in the Sermon on the Mount, I invite you to turn there. This is, again, Matthew 7. It's just one chapter later. As Jesus continues to preach the sermon, Matthew 7, verse 7 I think Jesus speaks to this tension well. Where Jesus invites us to ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? What's Jesus saying? He's saying, Look, if you're a parent, or if you've had a father, imagine a father being asked by his child for bread or a fish asking for food. Can you imagine that father just because he can, because he's vindictive and cold, instead of giving him bread or a fish, he gives him a stone or a serpent. Jesus is saying, can you even imagine that? He's saying even evil parents, bad parents, and terrible fathers, when they're asked for food from their children, well, give them good things. How much more is our Father in heaven, who is not evil and is perfect and completely good, how much more would he graciously give us everything that we could ask for? You see, what makes it complicated is that this life is difficult. And when we are praying to God as our father, we are bringing all of those difficulties with us. And for some of you, even some of those difficulties involve your own earthly fathers, either because they are absent now and you mourn them, and maybe you never even knew them, or because they are present now and they've wounded you. All of these things make seeing God as our father complicated, But prayer calls on us to be honest and to trust that in the midst of all of this, he is good and he does good. The Bible makes this clear again from beginning to end. The Psalms tell us about the character of God, that he is good to all, that his mercy is over all that is made. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from God, the Father of lights. But my favorite comes from the Apostle Paul. When Romans chapter 8 put it this way He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also graciously give us all things? I think at times when we pray, if we've been let down, we expect somewhere in our doubt that all we're going to get is a stone or a serpent. But what I want you to see is that our God, when we have brought our most desperate need to him, far more desperate than bread or a fish, he didn't give us a stone or a serpent, but he gave us his son. And if he would willingly give us his son to die and to rise again for us, how would he not out of his goodness and out of his authority give us all that we need? So the third and final thing I want us to see, I want you to know that to pray to our Father is to come to him like a child. The last word I want to look at in our Father in Heaven is probably the most easy to miss. But in many ways, I would argue it's the most important, and it's the word are. That Jesus, by giving us these words, is saying that this prayer is not just for him. Not only can he pray to God as his Father, but he is now inviting us to pray to God as our Father as well. The last passage I want you to turn to is in the Gospel of John, John 20. John 20, verse 15. In John chapter 20, Jesus has died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. And as Mary went to the tomb to go and care for his body, as she went to the tomb, what she found was that he was no longer there. She was met by angels. And as she wept, wondering where Jesus had gone, Jesus met her outside the tomb. Verse 15, he said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned to him and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This is an amazing scene. The risen Jesus speaking to Mary outside of the tomb, and it's so amazing that it's easy for us to miss what Jesus told Mary, Notice what he said, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Remember what the Pharisees said to Jesus, that because he saw God as his father, they wanted to put him to death. And now Jesus is saying, this God who is my father is your father too. And you now Have the same access to Him as I do. This is nothing short of amazing grace. You see, because the Bible tells us that left to ourselves, we are all not children of God. It's one of the most common misconceptions that people have about God and His created beings. Left in our sin, we are not children of God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that we are actually children of wrath. We are spiritual orphans. We have chosen orphanhood, overseeing God as our authoritative and good father. And in our sin, we have rebelled against him and gone our own way and said, I am going to live life on my own terms. That makes us orphans. It makes us fatherless. But the beauty and wonder and hope of the gospel is this. That as Paul said in the book of Galatians, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We who were once orphaned in our sin, to us, God sent his own son to die in our place and to rise again so that we who were once fatherless would be adopted as sons and daughters and now can declare along with Jesus our father in heaven. Bible calls him the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus, not only our Savior, but because of his death and resurrection, he's also our older brother. And because of what he has done for us, we now can come to God as our Father. The Apostle Paul doesn't stop there, but he says this, And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That word Abba, again, is an Aramaic. It's a relational word, an intimate word, a word that means Daddy. We who were once orphaned in our sin now call God our Father. We call Him Daddy because He sent His Son to die in our place. How is any of this possible? It was made possible because our sovereign, authoritative, and good Father heard the prayer of His only Son in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he also prayed, Abba, if it were possible, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. And our sovereign, authoritative, and good Father told his son, no. He told him no. For the goodness of you, in me. He who did not spare his own son, how could he not graciously give us all things? He has called us, he's invited us to come to him and to pray, our Father in heaven, because Jesus, his son, has made us sons and daughters. Let's pray, Father in heaven, even as I pray those words. As we pray those words, perhaps at some point today or throughout the week, I pray that we would linger on them a little longer. That we wouldn't just brush past them, but that we'd be amazed at the wonder and goodness of the gospel. That you sent your son Jesus to die in our place so that we might come to you and say, Our Father, we praise you this morning for your sovereignty, your authority, your goodness, and your grace to us. And we pray that every time that we come to you as Father, that you would stir in us not only a deeper affection for you, but that we would behold your great affection for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing together.